Morning, everyone. You know, before uh, our phones put the time back for us, you know, I used to kind of enjoy um, seeing people come either late or early, uh, but nothing today. You know, and there's no one early um, in terms of uh, an hour early. Um, hopefully, everyone enjoyed the extra hour of sleep um, that you guys got. I think all the mothers are like, yes, we got three hours of sleep. Thank you. Um, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Young, uh, pastor here at New Life. And as Josh mentioned, really great day uh, for newcomers and for everyone, actually. Uh, we are calling it a newcomer's lunch uh, because there is a focus on the newcomers. But everyone is invited. Um, there should be enough food for everyone, I believe. Uh, I can't find Christine. Yes, there is. Yep, she's nodding. Um, so do stay tuned for the details. It'll play, take place right after the service, uh, just outside here as well. And the weather is nice and sunny, so we can enjoy that. And as Josh mentioned, we're in week three of our series, Loving the Outsider. Uh, you see the graphic on screen behind me, uh, where we're looking together at the book of Ruth. And throughout the last couple of weeks, we've seen the background of the time of the judges um, and the repetitive sin of the people. And we've seen also the choices that we have to make and unfortunately, how conventional wisdom often uh, seems to trump over, covenant, uh, over our covenant to God. And We've also seen uh, mostly how God loves the insider who's gone out and how he also loves the outsider who was never invited in. Um, next week, we have one more sermon from Ruth before we take a one-week break for Easter, and uh, then we'll be back to Ruth for another four weeks. So, but for today, uh, let's ask God for the wisdom to receive what he has for us from the word. Uh, let's ask for the courage and the humility to be transformed by him as well. And let's also ask for the discernment uh, to recognize his grace. So let's pray together. Uh, Father, for so, so many of us uh, that are gathered here today uh, that call ourselves Christians, uh, you have already given us hearts of flesh, and yet we uh, tend to harden our hearts by forgetting to look for your grace in uh, the places of our lives, God, and especially the difficult places of our lives. Um, as we look at the, the news around the world, and as we look at uh, our own situations, we can become clouded, and we can uh, let that thick fog of uh, despair descend over us. Today, Lord, though, uh, this morning, would your wor words just cut through all of this, God, and really cut to our hearts. Help us, Lord, by softening our hearts once again that we might be able to receive what your word is for us, God. We know, Lord, that you have the words of life. Where else can we turn? Where else can we go from here? And so we turn to you, we turn to your word, and we ask, Lord, that you would transform us that we will be able to live gospel-centered lives um, here today and every day of our lives, God, that we be able to love you above all, that we be able to love one another and we be able to love uh, our world that we live in. Would you guide us, God, and help us, Lord, to seek you through your word and to be transformed by it. Help us, Lord, to recognize your grace as it comes to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Uh, when we last met, we saw that Naomi didn't want her daughter-in-law, Ruth, to come back with her to Bethlehem. Um, it's hard enough living off charity on her own, but then to have an extra mouth to feed, it wasn't really a welcome surprise. Uh, she didn't want the extra company. Naomi's bitter. She's annoyed uh, at her daughter-in-law. Uh, many mother-in-laws do get annoyed at their daughters-in-law, but this one's a bit of a different situation. Uh, we saw how Ruth 
would serve as a constant reminder as well of Naomi's sin of abandoning God and his promised land in search of provision in Moab. And Moab, of course, is one of the most hated enemies of Israel, which makes Ruth about as welcome there as the descendant of a Nazi at a bat mitzvah. So the women who welcomed Naomi made this abundantly clear as well, that Ruth is simply a reminder that Naomi had sinned by allowing her sons to get married to these outsiders in Moab, outsiders to God's covenant. And yet, through it all, ironically, Ruth was the one that displayed true understanding of what a covenant is as she committed to cut off all ties with her own people and her Moabite gods. She committed to serve Naomi until death and indeed to worship her God and our God. Now, by conventional wisdom, even by this point, even though we know that you know, God is gracious, it looks like they're in for a hard life. You know, she's not a welcome figure in this city. She's not a welcome figure in her own family. And so it looks like she's in for a hard life. It looks like it'll be a bleak future, despite Ruth's plucky attitude that you see along the way. You know, she's, she seems very happy-go-lucky. You know, she seems very uh, easy to get along with. And yet, it seems like it'll be a very difficult time. And Naomi had said at her return to Bethlehem that she was bitter, that she had gone from full to completely empty because of the Lord. But for us, the readers, as we're reading all of this, something's happening. For those of us who are well-versed in Ruth, who are well-versed in the book of Judges as well, we can see some movement in the background here. We can see something happening. See if you can spot this with me. Ruth 1.1, during the time of the Judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem and Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. Then skip down to verse six. She and her daughters-in-law set out to return from the territory of Moab because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's need by providing them food. So God's people had started in this desperate situation. You know, when we open up the book of Ruth, we see the desperate situation that God's people are in. Famine had struck the land. But why did Naomi return? Why did Naomi and, and Ruth end up in Bethlehem? They heard that there was food, once again, in Bethlehem. In the midst of this famine, suddenly, food is back on the table. The house of bread has bread again. So it's the beginning of the barley harvest we read at the end of chapter one, when Naomi and Ruth arrive back in Bethlehem, and God's hand of judgment has clearly been lifted from his people. There's no more judgment in the land at this point. There's redemption, there's blessing. Do you see it? Do you see what's happening with the movement of God? Naomi doesn't notice anything. We know this, like when we're reading through the Bible, there's this deep bitterness it's permeated with this anxiousness about, future, about the future, about how she's gonna live. She knows from her conventional wisdom, my daughter-in-law and me, we're in for a rough time. This is often our experience as well. This is how we think. You join me in this, like this is how we think. When we're feeling far from God, when our faith is dry, when our strength is weak, what do we do? 
We worry. We're living in an age of anxiety. I don't know anyone that doesn't have anxiety. Everyone has anxiety now. We grow anxious. We run through every terrible thing that could possibly happen in the future. In her anxiety, Naomi, she falls into despair and she falls into inactivity as well. Just the perfect cocktail of just horribleness, right? Meanwhile, her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the outsider, the Moabitess, she decides that she has to at least try to get some food for them. Read with me, Ruth 2, 1 to 2. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. Ruth the Moabitess asked Naomi, will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone with whom I find favor? Ruth doesn't know about this guy yet. This is just for our benefit that we know what's going on, right? The narrator's telling us. Naomi answered her, go ahead, my daughter. Now what does Ruth mean when she asks Naomi, can I go into the fields? Can I go and gather fallen grain behind someone from whom we might find favor? What does that mean? Is this just like a random idea that she had, just a bright idea? Like, to us, it sounds a little bit odd because if we're in need of food, it probably wouldn't cross our minds to enter into some farm fields, you know, depending on how far north you live. You don't really walk behind someone's tractor to pick up what's been left behind. We don't do this anymore. But there's a pair of passages from the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and I'll read them for you. They'll be on screen as well. Leviticus 19, when you reap the harvest of your land, you're not to reap to the very edge of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not strip your vineyard bare or gather its fallen grapes. Leave them for the poor and the resident alien. I am the Lord your God. And then Deuteronomy, when you reap the harvest in your field and you forget a sheaf in the field, do not go back to get it. It is to be left for the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you knock down the, the fruit from your olive tree, do not go over the branches again. What remains will be for the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow. So according to the law of Moses that we're reading here, that the people of God were to live by, there was a way for the poor to be taken care of. Like this is the way that was built into their society. Provision had been made by God, and it meant not just sitting around and waiting for a handout from someone. They were instead allowed to work for their food. They were able to glean after the harvesters and around the edges of the fields, picking up whatever was fallen or left behind. But this depended not only on their willingness to work, you know, like Naomi and Ruth, but also the generosity of the field owners. Because this being in the law, it meant that the, the owners of the fields, they were not only expected to do this, it was required. It was required by the law that they leave the fields not fully harvested. So that the poor, the foreigner that lived in the land, the orphan and the widow, they could have enough to live on. Does all this sound reasonable? Like, does this sound reasonable to you? What if the expectation was on us to not spend to the edges of our bank accounts, to make opportunities to give to the poor? 
or for business owners. I don't know if we have any business owners here. What if the expectation is earn less overall so that you can pay your employees more fairly, so that you can give opportunities to people that need work? What if that's the expectation? Now, we've grown up at a time when capitalism is kind of the, the easy thing. Like, it's the thing that's kind of going around. Like, we know we've grown up in a capitalist age, right? So this notion seems so foreign to us and maybe even ridiculous to us. Like, you bring this up, I think it, because we're in Australia, it's a little bit easier. But transport us to America somewhere. And you'd be getting up to stone me at this point. You know, you'd be calling me a communist or a Marxist or something. But we've been told about how we have to seize every opportunity to make as much money as possible. Like, do you hear that implicit teaching from behind what your parents tell you with conventional wisdom, what your schools tell you with conventional wisdom, what your bosses tell you with conventional wisdom? Make as much money as possible. We've been told, put away into savings as much as possible. I'm not saying don't save, but this is like maximization. That's what we're talking about here, right? To take care of ourselves and our families, and the rest of the rabble can work themselves out. It's not the case here. It's not the case for us today either. We need to see this. Like if we're gonna make a change in this world, if we're being transformed by the Bible, by God, we need to see this. God's concern is for all, especially for the poor. How often does he talk about the poor? Generosity is a fruit of the Spirit, not how much you can make. Now keep in mind, just because it's the law, it doesn't mean that everyone kept it well. Okay, I think we like to idealize the people of the Bible sometimes, and we like to think, man, if only we could be like them. But no, we don't want to be like them. We already are like them. You can see this in our present-day society as well. Not everyone kept the law well. Not everyone keeps the law well now. Entering into the fields to gather fallen grain, because not everyone keeps the law well, how are you going to know whose field you can go into? Like, this is why Ruth is saying, maybe I can find favor with someone. It's risky work. You can imagine how especially risky it is for a foreign woman, someone with no connections in the land. No one who cares for her, no one who will avenge her if something happens to her. This is especially dangerous work. Ruth 2.2 again, Ruth the Moabitess asked Naomi, will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone with whom I find favor? Naomi answered her, go ahead, my daughter. Ruth volunteering to be the one to go and gather so that they can have food, she's making herself vulnerable. You see this, right? Like she knows the risks She's making herself vulnerable. She becomes vulnerable, not just for herself, though, but also for her mother-in-law. Like, she's serious when she says, I'm going to serve you till the day I die, even if that's today. Even if I go into the fields in order to get us food and I'm going to die, I will serve you. She empties herself 
by assuming the form of a servant, humbly going out to the fields. So in faith, she went out, believing that there will be a landowner somewhere who loved God and followed his commands, followed the law, who was generous, who would aid the poor and needy. When it comes to faith, I think this is a popular belief that some of us have. Sometimes we think it's more faithful to sit around and do nothing and just to kind of believe that something is gonna fall into our laps. But here's an interesting contrast here in the Bible. In faith, Ruth did what she could do. She actually went out and did something. And she, at the same time, she trusted in God to provide what was necessary for her. She's not doing it without prayer, she's not doing it without faith, but compare this with Naomi, who didn't go out to gather grain at all. She knew that she had a relative. She's the only one in this story that knows about her relative. She married this guy, Elimelech. She knows, hey, there's a pretty good guy, Boaz, probably a lot better than the guy she married. But she doesn't make mention of him. She doesn't tell Ruth, hey, you should think about going to that field, actually. And only dismisses Ruth, telling her, go ahead. She's so wrapped up in her own anxieties that there's not even an attempt to do anything or to even influence the actions of Ruth, her unprecious daughter-in-law. This is our experience too. This is what we do. Like, I don't look at Naomi and I think, man, what an idiot. I think, man, what a mirror. This is me. When we lose sight of God's goodness and grace, and we forget about who he is and what he's done, then our self-centeredness shines through. We can only see ourselves, and we start seeing our own problems as bigger than the God of the universe who created us. The God of the universe that we say leads us, guides us, will never forsake us. We say, surely he can't fix this. As we let anxiety and worry eat us up inside, we move into this place of despair and inaction as well. But what is the truth that we know. We talk about this every week. Josh articulated it for us really well. It's the good news of God's grace. We preach the gospel of grace here. We believe in it. We're changed by it. We live it out. Except when times are hard. But the moment that we look to the cross once again, we can be reminded of God's love for us in his own son, Jesus Christ. How then can we bow before our doubts when he's given us everything that we need for life? Do you see it in our passage today? Were you able to spot God's grace, his sometimes invisible movement? Verse three reads, so Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. 
lo and behold, Ruth ends up in the portion of the field belonging to this man, Boaz, this man of noble character who happens to be related to Elimelech. She just so happened to be in Boaz's field. Coincidentally, she ends up in Boaz's field. Luckily, she's in Boaz's field. How does she end up here? It's the same way that she ended up in the house of bread in the first place. It wasn't luck. It wasn't coincidence. Definitely wasn't Naomi who was actively convincing her, now stay behind in Moab. Ruth ends up in the field by the Lord's guidance, which isn't visible unless you know what you're looking for. Once you know what you're looking for, you can see it. God is gracious. His heart is always to forgive, always to love, always to welcome in, whether it's for that insider who's gone out or the outsider who was never invited in. We see from what we've read thus far in Ruth over the last few weeks, God has forgiven Bethlehem and Israel again and again. We see his forgiveness in action in Ruth. We've seen it in Judges, despite their repeated sin and their turning to idols again and again, and despite knowing that they will turn from him again. Despite knowing that one day they're gonna stop repenting, what does God do? He forgives. He brings blessing upon the land. He's brought bread back to the house of bread, and he's brought Ruth and Naomi back at the beginning of the barley harvest. The perfect time for them to enter the perfect time for them to be able to gather grain. This is divine providence. This is what we talk about when we say God is provider. In the time of the judges, when the curses and the blessings were a lot more visible than they are today, judgments and forgiveness seem to be a lot more clear and obvious, but even here, the reality is, in Ruth's story, you'll miss what you aren't looking for you won't see that God is being gracious. You'll always miss God's grace when you've got your eyes only on yourself and your anxieties. Like Naomi, you'll remain inactive, in despair when you focus on your emptiness. But God's fullness is available to all who call him Father. If you don't know him, you can. He's waiting. He's full of grace and peace and shalom. He is waiting. And you may not see it immediately. But look to him. Look to the cross and see that you just happened to be here to hear about his grace today.